Yes. Yes, God, we sing that to you. That all our hope is in you. It's in you, Jesus. It's not in in our wisdom. It's not in our strength. It's not in our might. It's not in our government. It's not in our power. It's in you. That you possess all that we need in life, God, to have hope in. That there's nothing, not even a grave, that can hold you back, Jesus. All of our hope is in you. We just sing that truth and we sit in it that yesterday is gone. There's no shame that has power anymore. There's no guilt that has power anymore. We can sit before you spot-free clean because of what you have done, Jesus. We can sit before you in the confidence of knowing that, that king of this universe, you have called us your own and you call us your children. That all the rights of Jesus have been bestowed upon us. That we stand here as, as prince and princesses of the Most High King. That all of our fears, our anxieties, and they, can, they can run and hide. Because you are on your throne. And your promises, as we have sung, are yes and amen. It will come to pass. What you say, God. Even when we don't see it. Even when we don't understand how. Yet you are on your throne. And so, Father, as your children, as your people, singing these songs to you, declaring them with our mouth, Father, I pray your spirit does the work of declaring them to our soul, that we would believe it down in our core. God, do that work. We give ourselves to you to that end, to open up Scripture, to meet with you, the living God. Have your way amongst us, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. Good morning, church. Glad to see all of you this morning. Uh, we're going to continue on in our, in our elephant series. If you weren't with us last week, you might be asking what in the world is an elephant in your soul. Uh, it's, a, it's a play. Um, am I on there? Yep. It's a play on, uh, on the, the phrase elephant in the room, that, that big issue that you would love nothing more just to ignore and act like it's not there. Uh, the obvious issue that other people can see and, let, and yet because it's uncomfortable, because we don't want to deal with it, because it might bring up past hurts, we just would prefer to leave it lie. And, and in our soul, we have these issues, hurts, struggles, anxieties that, that for us to, to deal with it is going to have to cause us to do some work. And frankly, it would just be easier to ignore it and move on like it, it never happened. Um, and many of us have relationships where we bear wounds and we still have relationships with people that are the ones that wounded us. And it would just be much easier to act like they didn't and move on. But what happens when we do that, these elephants in our soul, they, they sit there and they, they fester and they, they grow and they give way to, to bitterness. They give way to anger and it begins to erode at the very fabric of all of our relationships. I, I had the joy and Honored to, to sit with, with many of our church folks this week, just processing through last week's sermon with them as they began to be honest with the hurts of their past and where they are and feel licensed before God to express that and begin dealing with the elephants. And, and so often, um, as we saw last week, the fabrics of all their relationships are, are struggling and they're hurting and, and, and they would just prefer to not deal with the issue except that they can't handle the hurting of the relationship, so you have to walk back. And you bring it back, and you say, okay, it's time. Jesus, come get your elephant, right? 
come get this thing. Take it out of my life. I need to forgive. I need to do the work. I need to move on, God. You be God, and I'll, I'll follow you. And that's hard. It's hard work, but it's, it's worthwhile work as God begins to restore and bring life back to us as we get rid of these things that are festering deep within. As we are called to love God with all of our soul, with all the true essence of who we are, that God doesn't want us to settle for a shallow, surfacely level religion. He wants us in all of our fullness, all of our doubts, all of our struggles. He, he wants us, and he invites us to come and love him from that true essence of who we are. And so we go to that. So in light of that, we're going to continue on. And this morning, we're going to talk about allowing God to deal with our, our disappointments, our disappointments, because... In particular, we've all experienced disappointments, but this morning is particularly about disappointments with God. Can, can we get real, real quick? I remember at 13 years old, when my dad informed us that he was leaving the family, and the details of the divorce began to come out. I remember in church, crying out to God, believing he had the power to do it. God, bring my parents back together. Stop this divorce. Make, make them love each other again. And crying out to him, and he didn't do it. And I remember sitting there and, and being angry at my dad, but, but God can deal with that anger and has dealt with it. But, but what was I supposed to do with the fact that I'm disappointed that God didn't do it? I believe he makes Jesus rise from the grave. He can do whatever he wants to. He has the power. Why didn't he do this thing that I begged for him to do? And who do I turn to when I, and it's God that I'm disappointed with? Who's supposed to hear that and deal with that? And so I, I let that sit down in there. We all have, have disappointments that if we're honest, that God did not do what we thought he ought to do, the way he ought to do it. And, and we've got questions. Because we buy into the theology that he is loving and he is good and he is king. And yet circumstances around me don't feel loving and they don't feel good and they don't feel like you're king. So what is going on, God? And I don't feel like I have the license to be honest with you about that. And so instead, I, I keep quiet about that. We've all, we've all prayed those prayers and, and asked God to do, to do things. I've sat with families and prayed for healing in hospital rooms. And many of them got, got answers. And, and, and God has, has done. And, and you guys have, have experienced that, many of you, of, of God doing a work and through doctors and medicine and, and bringing healing in. That's awesome. But I've also been in the hospital room when God didn't answer that. And I've, I've been with the family members when the doctor walks in and says, we've lost your loved one. And I've sat in my truck and shook my fist at heaven and going, I don't understand you. I don't get it, and frankly, I don't like it. We've all wrestled with it in, in the face of natural disasters and accidents or terrorist attacks like up in Poway a couple of weeks ago. Going, why didn't you prevent that? Why didn't you stop that? Aren't you, aren't you God? Aren't you loving? And if we're not careful, those disappointments grow within us. And because we don't feel licensed or we don't know how to deal with them, why hasn't God taken this thing away from me? We don't know how to deal with that. We just let it lie. And we go about our business of life. And that elephant in our soul just festers. And it has its way amongst us. So this morning, 
in an effort to be honest and real, we're going to walk through a very real and raw psalm, Psalm 13, to try to figure out how to deal with these disappointments. And I think the psalmist lays out for us a blueprint of just honest, real work with God. So turn with me to Psalm 13. It's just six verses long. We'll read through all six verses and and we'll start our study. Psalm 13, the psalmist, if, if, if you don't know Psalms, Psalms are a book of prayers and and, and poems and raw, real material to deal with God. And the psalmist here writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I, I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Psalm 13. You know what I love about this psalm? Is we only have in words the one part of this conversation. We only get the psalmist words to God, but you can follow along in here and quickly discern that this was a two-way conversation. The best of prayers are. And God shows up somewhere in the middle of this, this psalm as he's writing down his prayer. And where he begins in lament in verse 1, he ends in praise in verse 6. Which, how does that happen? You can hear the rawness of his emotion where he is very real with his disappointment with God. And we're going to get into that. And yet he ends at a place of praise. I will sing praises to God. I will sing songs. I will rejoice in his salvation. And how does he do that? Because all of us, that's the process of dealing with that disappointment that you end in this place of praise and goodness with God. How do, and there's a journey that has taken place here. And it's that journey that I want us to walk with the psalmist through. So we're going to back up to verse 1. And begin to try to break this apart to figure out what's going on. Look at, look at where he starts. How long, O Lord? There's probably every person in this room that's prayed that prayer. This is a heavy sermon, so i got to look for comedy somewhere. I think God provided it for me yesterday. I was, uh, my, my youngest has decided that uh, he's, he's going to fight us every time it's time to go to sleep. He's just decided this is his new battleground. Uh, and so the last several nights in our home have been rough uh, as, as we're trying to get this dude to go to sleep. And he fights it on all, all fronts. And so we've had late nights. And, uh, and, and he's a little bit like his dad in that when he doesn't get enough sleep, he turns into an ogre. And it's just not pretty. And yesterday he was on full just blast ogre, right? And he is, he is screaming. He is doing it all. And I'm like, all right, man. You're taking a nap today. You, you got to sleep today. We were having a babysitter coming last night, and we we're like, we love Shane. We don't need to put that on her, so we're going we're gonna to make you take a nap. And so he and I, I could see it in his eyes, and I told him nap. He's like, all right, let's go. You want to you go? Let's go. And I'm like, come on, buddy. We're going to take a nap. Eat, eat, eat lunch, and we lay down, and I'm going to take a nap with him. That's one of my spiritual gifts. I love napping. That is awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that's in the Bible, but I think it should be. Yeah. Good. 
And I'm praying for God to give my son with this gift right about now. Like, like, just go to sleep. Be still. I lay down with him. For two and a half hours, we fight this battle. And I try every parental thing in the book. I start with sweet words. I'm rubbing his belly. I'm rubbing his back. Then I switch to harsh words. Like, boy, you better sleep. You don't know what's happening. I try to bribe him with a friend down the street. Then I try to punish him. You're not going to be able to see your friend down the street, right? I try. We had... We had rain sounds going on. I switched to ocean sounds, thinking maybe that would work. I tried every parental trick I knew in the book, and for two and a half hours, he wiggled and never fell asleep. Ever. And I, what's that? Benadryl. I was close to it. I was, I was like, for me, not for him. I was like, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, my gosh. And, I, and all parents know that feeling in the room where are like, I love you. I'm about to kill you. Like, like, like this is, I'm sending you back to Jesus right now. And I'm at my wit's end, and I, there's not much I can do. And so I'm, I'm not in a good place. I need to roll over, and, and I got to preach tomorrow. And so I'm just going to study my text. And so I open up some, not even really thinking. I'm just trying, and the first thing I read is, how long, oh, Lord, will you forget me? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And I'm like, I totally understand that dude right now. Like, maybe he's trying to get his kid to go to sleep. And we all can relate to that. But the prayer of how long, O Lord, is actually a refrain that happens throughout Scripture. You find it multiple times in Psalms. You'll find it in the book of Isaiah. Jeremiah says it. Because that's a common experience of humanity. Because it turns out God doesn't work on our timelines. Right? And inevitably, he won't give us what we want when we want it. Because he's God and we're not. And there are times in our relationship with him where we look to heaven and go, really? How long? I thought, I thought the healing would come by now. I thought the, the, the change would come by now. What are you doing? Are you paying attention at all? The Second Peter puts it, puts it this way, trying to give some clarity to it. Second Peter 3, he says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. <laughs> I think all of us at some time are in this, as some understand slowness section of that, right? We're going, I don't know. It feels awfully slow to me, God. Any time now would be nice. And we don't know the context of what's going on with the psalmist. We can guess at it, but, but we don't really know it. But that's part of the beauty of it. Because it makes it a universal emotion that we all can relate to. We're probably never going to be in a cave surrounded by Philistines, right? But we will have that feeling. Like I have asked, and I have asked, and I have prayed, and I have stayed faithful, and I have done, and yet you still have not done this thing, God. How long? How long? And what are, we, what are we supposed to do with that emotion? We, 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 we put it down. We go to church. We're just going to keep on going. And this growing tide of disappointment of going, God, where are you? I have begged of you. And what do we do with that? And many of us grew up in religious experiences and, and, and traditions, or, or we have discerned it from society, that we're not supposed to be rude to God. Right? Like God might, might smite me. He, like I can't, he, he's a king. He's all-powerful. I can't become before him. And so what we do instead is, is to put on the front and we go throughout our religion and deep in our soul, there, what we really want to do is just yell at God, where are you? And we think that that's what God wants. 
And one of the things I love about the Psalms is that it is giving us the permission and the very language and opportunity to do the exact opposite. Because God would rather us deal with him in honesty than deal with him in dishonesty. Because what happens when when we have this, this disappointment and we let it fester, it becomes disenchantment with God. And that disenchantment gives birth to disengagement. And we start pulling away. And oh, we come to church and we sit. But like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are close to me with your lips, but you're far away from me with your hearts. We sit and due to our disengaged dishonesty with God, we're far away because we're mad. And we never felt licensed to tell God that. And if you hear anything this morning, hear this. God's a big God. And he not only gives us permission to be honest with him, he's asking for it. Scripture says, you will seek me and find me, Jeremiah 29, 13, when you seek me with your whole heart. And your whole heart is an honest heart. And there are whole books of the Bible, Lamentations, where it's just people screaming at God. And we need to hear that down to our core. That's okay to do. Because at least you're going to him. And that's the challenge of who do I go to when I'm mad at you, God? And God says, come to me. I can handle that. I'm not a spouse that gives you the silent treatment because you were rude to me. Right? I'm not a neighbor who just builds bigger fences because you were rude to me. I'm the king of kings. I can handle when you're ticked off at me. Come on. And there's something in us going, no, I can't, I can't be that real with God. Listen to the psalmist. He said, how long? He's yelling at how long? Are you going to forgive me forever? How long do I have to put up with this? There's nothing polite about that. He is accusing God right there. You are being slow, God. And look, look at what he gets to in verse, verse 3 and 4. Look on me. You, he's saying, look at me, God. Give me an answer. And you can hear deep within him going, I have begged and begged and begged, and you have done nothing. You have been silent. And you can hear it within him, this honest crying out. If you hear anything this morning, hear that you can be honest and you're crying out. That God is asking for it. Come. You know what's interesting to me about this verse 3? He says, look on me, Lord. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. He's already accused God that, that, that you have forgotten me. You have turned your face away from me. You're hiding. You know what's interesting about all that? That's terrible theology. That's not good theology. That's inaccurate. We know from Scripture that he says that God knows all things, that he sees all things. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares about all those things. Cast your anxieties on them. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We know the truth, and yet, and I think the psalmist knows the truth, and yet what we know here and what we feel here are often two very different things, right? Because God, I know you said you'd never leave me and forsake me, but what I feel like is that you've left me and forsaken me. Because the circumstances deem otherwise. Where are you right now? And, I, and there, there are times when we're scared to pray if we don't have just perfect words. Right? And I know, I know folks that, that don't, they don't want to pray because they might not have the right words to tell God these things. And the theology may be bad. And I want you to see that there's a psalm in the Bible that's actually bad theology in what he's saying. But in the course of what he's doing is that he's being honest. And that's beautiful theology. He's just letting God know where he is. Going, I I am hurting here. And I need you to give me an answer. 
I, I just want you to show up. And then something happens. Something happens. We end verse 4 and he is ticked at God. And then verse 5 and 6 seem like they're from a total different person. And he says, but I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing. What ha-? He ends with this joy-filled place. What happens? How, how does he get there? That's a big jump from you don't see me, you don't care, to I'm going to sing about your love. And I think what happens is God does something. He shows up. And this, by the way, is the beauty of worshiping a living God who speaks back into us, whose spirit is with us, that we don't pray to a God who's far out there looking down on us like like tiny ants in an ant farm, but a God who's right here with us speaking to us. And so I think the psalmist was making an accusation to God, and when he said, answer me, he meant it. Answer me, please, right now, speak. And I think God spoke to him in the rawness of his honesty because finally he had opened up. And so often we feel like God is silent in our pains, but it's probably because we've been silent about our pains and our frustration to him to get down underneath it. We prayed for him to take it away, but this underlying frustration with him for having had to deal with it anyways, we've never really dealt with. And so finally, the psalmist says, I'm dealing with this today. Look at me, God. Give me an answer now. And that sounds harsh, and it sounds like rude. Isn't he being rude to God? Yeah. Yeah, but he's being honest. And I think God answers. In the entire, because he ends with praise. And so something was birthed inside of him that wasn't present there, the verse before. Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace. Those are things we can't produce in our own. So in all of the anxiety and storm, he's running to God, and God produces a rejoicing afterwards. But I think everything hinges, the pivot point of this entire psalm, his entire experience hinges on that third word of verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. You ever get stuck on a word where you're like, what does that even mean? Like, why, why did we come up with that word to mean that? I, maybe it's because I'm, I'm operating on an extreme lack of sleep. But <laughs> last night I was stuck on the word disappointment, just thinking that's a weird word. Why, how did we get to the point of using disapp- the word disappointment to mean when somebody doesn't meet our expectations? Like, couldn't it be like a different, like, I know what an appointment is. I had a doctor's appointment this week. Why is it a disappointment mean I'm ticked at you? Like, I don't get... How those does that make sense? Like, I, that's my late night thoughts. I'm going, what does that word even come from? So, so this morning I, I wake up and I go, I'm going to research that. I'm just curious of where the word disappointment comes from. And what I found is something I think is beautifully theological. Look, look at look at the the source of this. So, if you can't read that, that's tiny words. My doctor's appointment this week was actually an eye doctor appointment. So I got to <laughs> disappoint. It actually comes from a French word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But here's what I find beautiful and theological. The word actually means to dispossess of appointed office, to undo the appointment or remove from office. 
And so the word in French actually is when you feel like when you're firing somebody, it says, I no longer believe you can do your job. I no longer trust you to do your job, so I'm firing you. And I think there's something powerful theological when we get to the root of what disappointment really is when we're shaking our fists at God. And what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to do your job of being a good God in my life. And that's the unspoken thing way down deep that we feel scared to voice out loud. And what we're wanting to say is that if I were in your chair, if I were in your seat, I would have done it a thousand different ways, not this way. And we shake our fists. And here's what I find interesting about the the psalm. Look at what he says I will trust in. He says, I've, got, I've been very clear about my, my disappointments. You're not meeting my expectations, God, and, and, and I'm angry and I'm hurt and I don't understand. And, and yet he makes a decision right here in this, in this word of trust. He makes a decision. I'm not going to trust my expectations. I'm not going to trust my way of doing things. I'm not even going to trust. And I find it interesting. He says, I don't trust. He doesn't say, I trust your plans. He doesn't say, I trust your sovereignty. Because frankly, he doesn't like God's plans and he doesn't like God's sovereignty and he doesn't like God's timing. And yet what he does say is that what I do trust is your love. Because while I can't, I can't understand anything else, I know this to be true. You love me. And you might be sitting there, how in the world do you know that? Because God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is God's gigantic, I love you to humanity and all of its brutality that we would never have to ever question God's heart for us. And he wrote those words on that side of the cross. We sit on this side of the cross and we look back at it and go, I might not understand God's plan. I may not like God's timing. And so I can't trust in those things. I just don't understand them alike. But I do know this. God loves me. And I know it to be true because of the cross. And so he says, I'm not firing you. I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself to, to have this all figured out. Frankly, I need a God whose ways are bigger than my ways. I need a God who sees beyond today and and all right now. And while, because I can't see, I'm frustrated and I'm hurt and it feels like you're far away, I trust that you love me. And I think it's right there when those words come out of his mouth that God shows up in a beautiful, beautiful, powerful way. And I'm just picturing them, him putting down his pen and just letting God's presence fall all over him. He's just accused God of being far away. And I love that when they went back and they put punctuation, I don't know if you know this, but Hebrew didn't have punctuation. Just a gigantic on-running sentence, right? So, but I think there's something beautifully theological about putting a semicolon after I, I trust your unfailing love. Because the next logical part of that sentence is, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. And I think God produced joy where there was anxiety and worry and anger and disappointment before. And a work was done. A powerful, beautiful work was done. So he ends with saying, I will sing praise to the Lord. I will sing. Years ago, I alluded to this in our sermon last week. 
one of my, right, right after we had just gotten married and had our first child, our, my first pastorate, I was in a real dark place. Uh, depression and anxiety runs in my family pretty deep, and I had never really dealt with it uh, full on, but we hit a hard season, and, and I was dealing with it there. Um, and I know some of you deal with that, and it's very raw, and it's very real, and it's hard. And often when you're in the middle of that, you know very well the how long prayer. You just want to see some light. We think, by the way, when the psalmist says, I bring light to my eyes or I might fall asleep in death, that what he's actually saying is, is, is I might fall deeper into depression. I'm, I'm going to go even farther down. There's something real about that. Well, I, uh, I left our house and I didn't really know where I was going. I just knew I needed to go deal with God. I, needed, I had a lot of this stuff in my soul that I'd never really been honest with God and I felt this welling up and so I left, and there's a lake in central Texas near, near to where we were living that had this, this I had read that there was a hike around the lake, and so I just thought, I love the outdoors, I love, I'm just going to get out, and, and I'm going to go. Uh, I, I, and so I went on this hike, and I found myself at the top of this cliff overlooking this lake. There was a, a pine tree about 15, 20 feet off of the, the, the front of the cliff, and I, and I sit down against that pine tree, and for the first time in my life, I just got real with God. I got real about the divorce. I got real about stuff that had happened to me. I just got real. And I don't know what changed in me. I think Amy's grace that I talked about last week just allowed me to turn to God and said, I've been mad at you for a long time. I believe in you. I have believed in you, but I've been mad at you for a long time. And God and I just had a conversation, a very real conversation. And for some reason, in my heart, I felt led to turn to Isaiah 40. You know this passage. It's a beautiful passage, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Starting in verse 28, I felt God lead me here. Maybe I'd read it in seminary. I don't know, but the prophet says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And something about reading that, overlooking that scene. He will not grow tired or weary, and and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and, and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. I read those famous words, and then I fell asleep. I mean, they were like a deep sleep, like a soulful. I was just exhausted. I'd been crying up there on that cliffside. And, you know, after you cry, your eyes hurt, and you're just, I was supposed to be a man not crying. And so I had that pent up for a long time, and it just came out in an ugly cry. Men in the room, you know that. We try to hide that. And I fell asleep. And I was leaning up my head against my backpack on the tree, my, my hat, my cap just over my eyes. And I have no clue how long I slept, but it was a good sleep. And the first thing that I woke up to, having just read those words, the first thing that I woke up to as soon as I opened my eyes was an eagle flying at the cliff. Opened my eyes and there's an eagle coming right at me. And he catches the updraft off of that cliff. And and I watch him soar out over that lake. And God used something that would speak to my soul just to affirm for me, I am with you. And I see and I care. 
And I hiked down off of that mountain with something deeply changed within my soul. And friend, I don't know if you have had God affirm his presence in your life. Maybe you're in a dark season right now where he feels far away. Tell him. Tell him. Be honest. Be open. Be real. If you're bearing deep disappointments and you need to shake your fists at heaven, shake. He gives you license. But do it in expectation that if he gives us room to be honest with him, we need to give him room to be honest back with us to stir and move and affirm. And what happens there can be something beautiful. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to ask this week just for the God, God to do a work in your life as you continue the journey of being honest with God, of being very real with God, the goal isn't to stay in those despairing places, right? The goal is we want to walk in this journey to get to verse 6 where I can say, I will sing praises to you. I rejoice in you. You are good. I will rejoice in your salvation. You do love me. But I think to honestly get there, not just do lip service, but to be there in your soul, you've got to journey through all the junk in your soul first. But you won't journey alone. You journey with the very spirit of the living God saying, I was there with that and I was there with that. And I'm still there with you right now. Be honest with God and let him speak his love back over you. Father God, we come to you this morning in prayer and just asking you to do this beautiful work of restoring back to us the joy of our salvation. God, that you are big enough and powerful enough and strong enough to handle our disappointments at you. You are loving and merciful enough and not petty in that you don't turn a blind eye to us when we get mad at you or rude or even when we're wrong about you. You just want us to show up to you. And in so doing, Father, I am asking in the name of Jesus that you show up to us. And this be a beautiful two-way conversation where you speak your presence and you speak your peace and you speak your truth back down over all of our disappointments and hurts. And we let you take away these deep elephants in our souls. That we might end at the place where the psalmist ends. That you are good. And we trust in your unfailing love. And we rejoice in your salvation. And we sing songs to you in praise. For you have been good to us. And it's in that truth that we rest and we sing and we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.